Praise the Lord. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, man, that's a lively bunch here. Happy Mother's Day. Praise the Lord. Amen. Give him a hand today. Praise the Lord. And I trust that um, a lot of people that are missing today are, are with their mothers. Praise the Lord, hopefully. <laughs> but today I, uh, I feel really led um, a subject that maybe we haven't really focused on is just our view of women. And this is going to be a really different kind of sermon and probably some things that maybe you haven't thought about before. And so you're going to have to really think as I uh, preach this sermon because this is going to be a sermon about our biblical foundations, our, um, our foundation in how we believe and how we live our lives. And uh, I'm going to be preaching from my laptop today. I, uh, I'm not comfortable preaching from it, but I was out of town with my family this weekend and didn't have a chance to drive back home. I've been up there for a couple of days and didn't have a chance to print it out, so this will be awkward for me, but I'll try it. All right. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 25. And these are going to be verses that you believe you know really well, but there are some implications in these verses that maybe we've never thought about. And so follow me along here. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love his wife. Husband ought to love his wife as he loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Then go down to chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children. These are, by the way, um, these are teachings about Christian behavior. This is in the home. Here is how we are supposed to behave as Christians. And, and Jesus Christ has commissioned his apostles to teach what he once taught. How many know that? When Paul teaches something... Uh, Paul is teaching as a direct representative, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. When the disciples, uh, when the apostles are writing scripture, uh, they don't believe that this scripture is of themselves. They don't believe it's private interpretation. They believe they're teaching the church how to live, how to behave, and this is the practice as Christians. But what we don't realize is that the things that Jesus was teaching was revolutionary. And these words that come off this page, we have been influenced as a culture. Now, we're going away from it, but we've been influenced as a culture to the point that those words aren't shocking to us. But let me tell you something today, and we're going to get into this. When that was written, that was revolutionary, and it was shocking, and they could not believe that he said those things. And you say, wow, I didn't know that. That is the absolute Truth, Jesus was teaching things about women that they have never heard before. And 
like I said, we've been heavily influenced in our culture, but I want to take you back a little bit to where he's speaking this and the culture that he was in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you help us today, Lord. Lord, as we, uh, we have a desire to build a foundation that's built in only you, Lord God. It's the only foundation that will last. It's the only foundation, Lord God, that's valuable, Lord God, and produces good fruit, Lord. So help us today, Lord God. In your name we pray. Amen. title of my sermon is The Honor of Women. Jesus Christ, let me give you this statement, is the greatest respecter and lover of women that the world has ever known. That's a true statement. But this is also a true statement. The women in Jesus' day were of a very low status. And this is the thing that we have to understand today. We have to understand how different his culture was and what he did was so revolutionary that we don't even understand it as an American. Because the culture that he lived in, how many know that right now, if you went to another part of the world, let's say you went to an Islamic country right now. Let's say if you went to maybe Saudi Arabia, well, that sounds like a pretty good place. Let me tell you something. Some of the ideals that we have about being a woman in our culture would be turned upside down. You wouldn't be able to get a license. You wouldn't be able to show your face in public. You wouldn't be able to go somewhere without an escort. You wouldn't be able to do hardly any of those things. You would have no rights as a citizen in a lot of places. You'd have no rights to own land. And you say, well, man, what are you getting at here, Chad? I'm saying that we have a foundation in Jesus Christ that we should be very proud of. And we should know it's a major part of who we are. And we have to hold on to it or we're going to lose it. Our respect for women is founded in our Christian um, principles that Jesus taught us. And it revolutionized the world. And if you don't know what those principles are, you're going to lose them. And sometimes in America, we don't even realize what he did for us. I hear feminists will say the Bible is the most anti-female book in the world and we hate the Bible. And I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea what you just said. You have no understanding of history. You have no understanding of culture. You have no understanding of the world around you. Let me begin to read some things here and I'm going to slow down here so I get it. Alvin Schmidt wrote a book called How Christianity Changed the World. He asked the question, what would the status of women in the Western world be today had Jesus Christ never entered the human arena? And here is his answer. Here is how the answer should be questioned. Look at the status of women in present Islamic countries, and that would be the state of women in the Western world if Jesus had never come. How many know that? The culture that he came in had a lot of the same traditions of man that suppressed women and oppressed women. 
But Jesus Christ was the one that shattered every traditional view. Jesus Christ came and did things that nobody had ever done. In fact, when Jesus Christ came, let me read this. Um, in fact, I've got to pull my phone out. My goodness, I'm using two forms of technology. Wow. That's what happens when I get on the road. Listen to this. Prior to Christian influence, a woman's life was very cheap. In ancient cultures, the wife was the property of her husband. In India, this is the time of Christ, India, China, Rome, and Greece, people felt and declared that women were not able or competent to be independent. Although in Rome, they began to move a little bit in the direction in the 3rd century. Aristotle, the great philosopher, said that a woman was somewhere between a free man and a slave. When we understand how valueless a slave was in ancient times, get this, in the time that Jesus lived, five, I believe, out of every eight people were in slavery. The Greeks, I think it was somewhere around three-fourths, and the Romans, it was somewhere around half of their empire. And it's because one war after another after another, and there were more people that were in slavery than there were free. And, and as you begin to look, every area, every area of the world that Christianity came into changed that region. How many know slavery was an epidemic around the entire world? And in the time of Christ, it was an epidemic. And Jesus came preaching a message, and the message wasn't, in slavery. The message was in sin. And because the message was in sin, do you know that the seeds of that message ended slavery? Do you know that one book of the Bible was called Philemon, and he was actually a wealthy slave owner, and Paul just happened to be in jail with his slave who ran away from him named Onesimus. And Paul uh, the wealthy slave owner got saved, Philemon, and Onesimus got saved in prison. And Paul said, now receive back Onesimus. He's no longer your slave. He is your brother in Christ. And as, as, and as the gospel began to penetrate the world, people began to realize the serious moral problem with slavery. And so people like William Wilberforce began to lead the cause and say, before I die, I'm going to end all slavery in Britain. And on the day that he died, hundreds of thousands of slaves were released and slavery was banned in the United Kingdom. In the United States of America, the abolitionists were led by evangelicals. They were led by Christians. They were led by Christians who said, this is a moral wrong. We need to end slavery. And so you've seen the Christians, the, the Underground Railroad was led by the Quakers, the Evangelicals, the Christians of the world, the Republicans. You cannot overlook that. Because people say, Democrats are for us. But the Christians in that day were Republican. And there's no record that that party ever changed the evangelical population to another party. You say, well, what? You owe me reparations for what happened. 
Can I tell you that over half of the country died to see slavery end in this country? They gave their families, they gave their sons, they gave their daughters, they gave their blood. They fought against their own family members to see freedom in this country. And you say, well, why do we need to know that? We need to know that because everywhere in the world where Christianity has not touched, there's still slavery. Everywhere in the world where Christianity has not touched, there's still slavery. But why was it in America? Because the Christians hadn't overthrown it yet. You say, well, they were 100% Christian. No, they were, there were a lot of people that were greedy as they could be, and there were a lot of Christians. The Christians overcame the greedy. Period. You say, well, what else is there? Every culture... They go into, if you are a child, you're vulnerable. Did you know that before Christianity entered the nations, you could force a girl to marry a 50-year-old man against her will and she had to submit? Do you know that you could force women to marry one man and have multiple women married to a man, but Christianity abolished it? This is a revolutionary book, and where it takes root, it eradicates sin. It eradicates sin. It's worth fighting for, because here's what happens. In fact, uh, let me read this. This is, um, actually, I've got a book here in Kindle from, uh, have you ever read D. James Kennedy, What If Jesus Were Never Born? Awesome book. Write that down if you've never read it. D. James Kennedy, if Jesus Christ were never born. But listen to this. In almost every area he documents when Christianity took root in a nation, what left. In fact, every nation previous to Christianity had no value on babies. They would, in in, in areas around the world, babies would be aborted by putting them into a wooded area drowning them like puppies in the water. They would be, dead babies would be all, they they go in places like India and China and the missionaries would go in and they would build orphanages because there were so many kids that were being exposed to the weather and thrown out to die like animals. And when Christianity comes in the area, abortion is eradicated. Amazingly, Christianity takes root in an area and... Abortion is eradicated. But if that's true in all those areas, what happens when Christianity is then abandoned? Every bit of land we took with that Christian foundation, it begins to seep back into our culture. Every bit of ground ground that we give up, every little area that we give up in Congress, every bit of area we give up in the government, every bit of area we get intimidated in the marketplace, every step that we give up, we go back to being a third world country. Isn't it amazing? And so back on the area of women... Ancient Greece said a respectable woman is not allowed to leave her house unless she's accompanied by a trustworthy male. 
implication there is she's not trustworthy. A wife is not permitted to eat or interact with the male guests in her husband's home. She had to serve and then retire to her quarters. Men kept their wives under lock and key, and women had the social status of a slave. This is the enlightened Greeks, by the way. The Greeks whose philosophical foundations still impressed the academics. All right? I got a long list there I could read. The status of the Roman women was also very low. Roman law placed a wife under the absolute control of her husband, who had the ownership of her and all of her possessions. He could divorce her if she went out in public without a veil. A husband had the power of life and death over his wife. Many of the nations before Christianity came in, if the husband died, they would then go ahead and kill the wife with the husband and also all of his slaves. (laughs) Then Jesus came. Jesus' treatment was very, very different. By his words and his deeds, he went against every ancient belief and practice that defined women as socially, intellectually, and spiritually inferior. How many know that? And some of you have never heard this message before. And it's about time we start preaching that message or we're going to go back to being a third world country. We're going to go to one excess or the other. They're going to be oppressed and want to be above Or they're going to be so oppressed that they're below and they're not going to be where God put them as equals. You know, ever notice the gender identity issues that we have in this country? Maybe it's because we're not preaching the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't know exactly what Jesus Christ did and maybe we haven't proclaimed what Jesus did. Give me examples of a few interactions that you may not notice the difference in the culture. One, the Jewish law, now everybody knows the Jewish law had a lot of traditions that we've talked about, religious traditions, and we're willing to accept that there were religious traditions that Jesus shattered that were from the oral law. Okay? But we don't always realize that there were traditions of the Jews and the way they treated people that were also wrong. And Jesus, if it weren't a law that God intended for his people, Jesus intentionally broke those laws. How many know that? Let me give you a couple of quick examples, and there are so many I can sit here all morning saying them. But one... The rabbinic oral law said, he who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. Another rabbi taught, one is not so much as to greet a woman in public. So if you were a Jew, you lived very close to the way they live in Arabic nations right now. But how many know Jesus was revolutionary? He was revolutionary. He broke every law that wasn't a law of God and was a law of man. He intentionally broke it. I'm glad he did. Praise the Lord. So when he came and began to talk to a woman in public at the well, 
it says they were amazed that he talked to the woman. It doesn't say they were amazed at their conversation. Like, did you hear what he was telling her about the game? Or about the weather? Or about what happened when he was fishing? It wasn't about the conversation. It was, he talked to a woman. (laughs) And see, we don't get this. We don't see what he just did. We don't see the revolutionary aspect of what he's doing. He's challenging the rabbis because what you're teaching is not the word of God and you're oppressing our women. I'm going to go talk to this woman. And so he broke the law. The law that wasn't of God, but the law that was of man. And Jesus Christ did not mind breaking that law. Can you imagine how stunned the woman was when the Messiah reached out to her and offered her living water for thirsty soul. I get goosebumps. I get goosebumps. You guys think I'm going to trip over that, but I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) In fact, I need to get that out of here. I will trip on him. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were entertaining him in their home. In a town called Bethany, which is the house of the poor. That means that town wasn't a very wealthy town. And here's Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the one that was resurrected from the dead. And uh, we see this story and we think we know what's happening. You know, we think that uh, the one sister is serving, Mary, or Martha was serving And as Martha is serving, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we think we know what's happening there. We think, oh, well, she's busy serving. We all like to be good hostess when we have company. And Mary's sitting, she probably thinks she's lazy. Or, you know, she shouldn't be doing that. But here's the deal. They were supposed to serve So the male disciples could sit there with the teacher and they were supposed to go to the other room in the culture. It was a shame for them to stay in the room. But Mary is at the feet of Jesus, which is the position of the student. In fact, these scholars say that uh, Gamaliel and some of the famous uh, rabbis in that area, you would see their people following behind them. And you would see, you know, I think he had 500 male disciples that followed him everywhere. And then one had 100. And and here's Jesus with all of his disciples in multiple places in the Bible. They say his disciples were there. And here's this whole group of women named with the disciples. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's why her sister looked in and said, why? Why are you doing it? It shocked her. It upset her. Because women just don't do that. Why are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? And Jesus was constantly letting them sit at his feet and learn as disciples. And he would even ask them questions. He would say, what do you think? And that's the posture of a teacher to the disciple. What do you think? Tell me. And they're like, did he just... Ask her what she thought because Jewish culture, they're not allowed to speak. Keep your mouth shut, put your veil on, get in the house. Do you understand he was a revolutionary 
when it came to his treatment of women. So we should be very strong in our belief that, man, I treat women a certain way because that's how I was taught to do it in the Word of God. And I take great pride in how I serve women. We served women this morning. And we should take great joy in the fact that just like my master, I'm going to serve women. How much would the world change if we do that? You say, good, they're going to serve us. Hey, Father's Day is coming up soon. And literally, I'm, put, I'm putting together a sermon on re- respecting men. You know, if the world had respect for each other, and we served each other, how much different of a place would it be? <clears throat> Another one. When Lazarus died... Okay, this is the one I was just talking about. He looks to Martha and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me will live. Even though he dies, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And that's when they gasped. said, why are you asking her? (laughs) I just see Jesus with a wry little smile. What do you think? And Peter's like, me? Well, no, behind you there, Mary. Martha, what does she think? Well, not important. Because what I think, <laughs> I'm adding that. I'm sorry, but I can just see the shock of the culture. Is what I'm getting at. The gospels. This is really important. These gospels were very specific in how they told the life of Jesus. Matthew was very cautious because when Jesus died. There was about a 10 to 12 year period there where they were just in Jerusalem and Jesus had them deliver the gospel to the Jews in every synagogue. And they were in that area, every synagogue giving the Jews an opportunity to receive the gospel about their Messiah. So Matthew, this gospel about the life of Jesus was all about, this is your Messiah. This is every prophecy that he fulfilled, everything that he did, everything he did on the earth, but it's all from a Jewish standpoint. Mark was written uh, directly during the period of time when they got driven out of Jerusalem and they end up in the Roman Empire and there's a persecution in the Roman Empire and Peter is giving a series of sermons and all of those sermons are built for the Romans. And all the sermons are about authority and about power and about casting out demons and, 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 and basically his power over nature, his power over demons, his power over disease, power over sickness. You go through the book of Mark and it's all about action. It's all about power. It's all about here's what he did and suddenly he did this and then suddenly he did that and suddenly he did this and then he cast out that devil and he cast out that devil, cast out that devil and you get through reading Mark and you're like, whoo, and you'll do greater things. And you're ready. <laughs> and then you get to the book of Luke. And boy, they went to another country and began to preach the gospel from the book of Luke in one of those countries that I was talking about where they're oppressed and they have no rights and they're not equal uh, heirs like the Bible says that they are, women. And a woman came up, a peasant woman who was oppressed and said, A woman wrote that book, didn't she? 
I said, why do you say that? Because I know it. I know that a woman wrote that book. And she has a good reason to say it. We know Luke wrote it. But the power of the Holy Spirit wrote the book of Luke in a way that is so unique. And if you don't know how that book is written, you're missing out. Because the book of Luke was written by a very brilliant uh, physician. And it's put together in a way, they all tell about the miracles, they all tell about the teachings, they all tell about the parables of Christ. But Luke is a little different. Luke has taken all of those stories, and remember that John said that if you could tell all the stories about Jesus, you wouldn't have enough books to hold them. And Luke went out to investigate. He went out to, in fact, he says, uh, because he's a physician, he said, I went out to do an autopsy of all the facts. I wanted to study all the facts and put them all together in a chronological order, very precisely, one of the greatest historians that ever lived. And Luke put that book together in a very special way that was shocking to the culture. He took all of the, let me give you the first example, and this is just some brief examples, the narratives of Luke. And everybody else gave narratives of Luke, you know, stories of the different people and the characters and everybody in the life of Christ. Everybody gave the stories, right? But Luke gave a more detailed story, and Luke almost did it, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. He included the women in everything he did. He would tell a boy story and a girl story. Boy, he'd give an example of a woman of faith, give, a, give an example of a man of faith. He'd do a teaching about a woman of faith, he'd do a teaching about a man of faith. And imagine being in that culture and beginning to read a book that talks about women being empowered by the Holy Spirit, women prophesying, men, women speaking about the Lord, preaching about the Lord, founding churches with the disciples, walking with Jesus, the first ones at the grave, the first evangelists we ever had church were women. It even says that they funded with their own money and walked as disciples of Jesus Christ with him, which was unheard of in that day. Gamaliel's there with his 500 men and Hillel's there with his 100 and Jesus has his women and men. It says they literally followed him everywhere he went, the women and the men, which was considered to be very wrong. The only kind of women would do that would be prostitutes in that culture. But Jesus had them with him. He had them from different nations of the world. He had men, he had women. He had backgrounds of tax collectors and prostitutes. And I want you to see his distinguished group because that's what group we're in. And he empowered them. And listen to this. He starts out with a story and he says, okay, yeah, let's tell you about John the Baptist. 400 years of silence. Let's tell you about Zechariah. Zechariah's got to be the hero because it's a male-dominated society. Zechariah didn't believe. Zechariah was made dumb. He wasn't dumb. Okay, don't say the male was dumb. He was just made dumb for a moment. All of us have our moments. (laughs) I smelled bacon. I got a little dumb. You know. But... uh, talks about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and it says he didn't believe the angel. He was praying at the altar of incense on his lot, said, I want a child. And he said, the child is coming. And he's like, I don't believe you. Well, why are you praying for? 
Does that make sense? But Luke accurately tells the story. Zechariah did not believe, so he couldn't speak for the whole nine months. He was silent. And I don't think he could hear even. Because I don't think he was hearing what was going around him. He couldn't speak. And then it says, but Elizabeth. Well, I thought that men were better than women and superior in this culture. No. The Bible consistently says they're equal heirs. And it also says there's no Jew, there's no Greek. But the Jews are better. No. No Jew, no Greek. Don't let them tell you you have to do the festivals and the feasts and the. No. No Jew, no Greek anymore. Jesus said, I'm commanding it. No slave, no free anymore. No male, no female. Equal heirs in Christ. And he opened a door of freedom that has never been opened. And the damage, you ever think about this? If he was the Adam that successfully endured the temptation, what happens when he succeeds in the temptation? What happens when he overcomes evil? And what happens when those curses in the garden are reversed? What happens when that woman who is now, something happened in that relationship with that man and that woman that hasn't been right ever since the garden? And what if God sent his son to restore it? What if he sent his son into a society that not only needed their sins forgiven, but they also need somebody to come in here and treat them how to teach, treat people, how to treat each other, how to live, how to love. You say, man, I want one of those Holy Ghost sermons where we're shouting and we're jumping. I want a Holy Ghost sermon where people learn how to treat people right. And I want a Holy Ghost sermon where people learn how to have balance in their life and don't go from one extreme to the other. Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a feminist now. Well, you're an heir. You're an heir. Because that's an extreme. Because you're an equal heir with men. Man says, well, I'm a chauvinist. I just believe male, males do it you know, better and they're more important to God. Well, you're an heir. Because we're equal heirs. And I'm looking for a revival where people understand what Jesus was trying to say. No slave, no free, no Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, all equal heirs in Christ. And God's opening the door of heaven and saying... Come on in, prostitutes. Come on in, tax collectors. Come on in, people who have grown up in drug addiction, people that have been alcoholics, because he said, such were some of you. And he's opening this door up and being a revolutionary. And the Jews say, well, wait a minute, you know, that alcoholic can't come in. That heroin addict can't come in. Jesus is saying, no, come on in. Come on in, repent. Well, just come on in, repent, and you're an equal heir. Uh-oh, scared me. My computer went off. So Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth is positive. Zechariah didn't believe. Then they begin to tell the story of not just Joseph receiving a dream from an angel, but then he tells the story of Mary also receiving the dream, and both were positive. Then he goes on. That's Luke 1. Luke 2. He goes to the temple, and we got Simeon who sees the child and he's old in age and he's like, wow, there's the child. I finally seen him. But then Luke goes a little further and says, okay, and here was Anna. Anna was an elderly woman that also see the child. Now, why in the world does he do that? But all through the book of Luke, it's not just a few examples. He does it over and over and over and over. Here's the male example. Here's a female example. Both 
women and men of God. He goes a little further, and this is another narrative where he begins to teach. He says there were 12 that went out with him, disciples, and certain were women, he says. And then he talks about Joseph of Arimathea in 23 at the burial of Jesus, and he makes sure that he mentions Joseph of Arimathea and a whole band of women are with him at the burial. He goes on, let me give you a few more examples. It's all the way through here, the performing of miracles. Um, Let me give you three examples of the performing of miracles, but he does it all the way through Acts 2. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 39. There was the healing of a demon-possessed man, and immediately after, he heals Peter's mother. Luke 7, he heals centurion's servant, and immediately that is followed by the healing of a widow's son. Luke chapter 13, he heals a woman on the Sabbath, and then he follows that by healing a man on the Sabbath. And these are all the way through Luke. It's not just a few examples. He has all these different women stepping up. And I want you to imagine being oppressed in that culture and seeing Jesus do this. Is this not amazing? Some of his teachings. Jesus in Luke chapter 4. He references uh, a widow of Zarephath as an example for his teaching and discourse. Then the same teaching that he's trying to explain to them, he mentions Naaman the Syrian making the same teaching point. Luke chapter 11, he talks about Jonah to make a point about their behavior and how they received him. And he turns right around and says, and the queen of Sheba in that day came and sat at my feet. He gives another example. And I'm just giving you examples. I could actually have a long list of these. The things that Luke began to do, if you begin to look at the order of how he did things, Jesus was trying to make a point. I'm shattering the old paradigm. I'm beginning to pour my spirit out, not just on your sons, but your daughters. I'm beginning to pour my spirit out upon this nation. You say, well, has he done it in the past? He did it all through the past. Why do you think Deborah was leading the the charge in battle? You know, Jesus all the way through, but here's what happens. We, we see this in Luke, and then we go right back to doing what we were doing in society. We begin to think, oh, I'm the man of the house here. I'm the man. And, and, and let me tell you something. Equal heirs does not mean that we're the same. It does not mean that we're identical. Identical is not what this is saying. The Bible says we have distinct responsibilities as a male. And Paul goes into, here are your responsibilities as a male. You better take them serious. This is how a Christian acts. This is how a Christian presents himself. This is what a Christian does. And this is what a man is supposed to look like as a Christian. You are distinct. You are different. We're equal, yet we are totally different. Equal, yet totally different. My responsibilities to the women in my life is totally different than their responsibility in their life, but we're still equal. How many understand that? And church, that's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. But do not make the mistake of saying we're the same. One just has long hair and one has short. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're distinct for a purpose and you better fulfill that responsibility because this culture needs it. And let me give you an example. One of the most destructive things in our society 
is how many kids do not have a dad. Some have them in the home and still don't have a dad. Some don't have a dad at all because we didn't respect and accept our responsibility as men. And there are a lot of people in this world that are destroyed because of their lack of a mother. That relationship and bond with that mother affects our lives in traumatic, traumatic ways. How many know that? And so God is very clear the distinctions between the two, but he's also very clear that we're equal heirs in Christ. Praise the Lord. So Christ was setting a new paradigm. He really, you know, kind of piggyback on Joshua's message, a new paradigm here. Different. Something's different here. Something's changed. Something is being preached here that we haven't seen before. There's no other explanation for why Luke did this. And uh, so I began to think, if that's my foundation, if Jesus is trying to make a point to me about how I honor women, then man, I need to make that a part of my life. You know, I need to make it a part of my life to the way I treat women. How many know that, that you can tell a lot about a person by how close they are to their mother? And you say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with me that I was treated badly or, or they didn't receive it. But it does affect you. And it affects you by not having that relationship with that mother and not having that love, it affects your, here's what it affects, your ability to treat women properly. It dramatically affects how you treat women your entire life based on your relationship with your mother. That's why the scripture I read today, did you notice that? Honor your wife, and a few verses down, honor your mother. Obey your parents, honor your mother and your father. Because those relationships affect how we view women our entire life. Relationship with your dad will affect how you treat men of authority your whole life. And that's why these are so important and why as a church we have to teach it. We have to take our responsibilities seriously as parents. So I wrote down some things just, sometimes I just like to sit there and think, man, how should I be treating women? And you say, well, you don't know my mother, that low down rotten Stop. It's not about your mother. It's about women. It's about Jesus giving an example, even though the whole world was doing it different around him, and us honoring Jesus' example and saying, it's not what you've done. I'm honoring who you are. And you say, man, we do the same thing with every part of society. Jesus, in fact, I could do the same sermon on different pockets of society that Jesus interacted with and made everybody part of his life. But number one, I've talked about a little bit, but serve. One way to honor women, honor your mothers. You say, well, why aren't you just saying mothers? Because I feel like everybody in this room has one thing in common. We all had a mother. And so it's more important to learn how to honor women because we all have a mother. And whatever happened in that relationship is affecting you today, I guarantee you. 
And so we need to relearn it. We need to be revolutionized. What Jesus did, the revolutionary message, has to reach us. And so, serve. Jesus came in right before he died. So I got a message for you. Stop arguing for a second about who's the greatest, which they were. They were having, their, I think, their third argument on who was the greatest in the kingdom. And some of you in life can't get past that either. Man, I want to be great. I want to be the best. I want everybody to look at me with, with honor. And, you know, I want people to say my name and, and, and oh, yeah, say it again. We're all arguing about who's the greatest. And here's the thing. He said the greatest, and he began to put the towel around him, and he, and he went to go take their shoes off, and he began to perform the job of a lowest servant. And he said, the one who serves the best will be the greatest in my kingdom. That's real meat right there. You want to be the greatest in the world to come, he's telling you right now who will be elevated for eternity So if you want to be the greatest here on this earth, you're going to lose your place in eternity. Because whoever the best is at serving will be the greatest in his kingdom. And he gave you that example with his life. So I would love to see a competition of not who's greater, me or my wife, or who's greater, me or my kids, or who's greater, me or my friends. I'd like to see a competition of who can serve each other the most. Who can serve each other the most. Another way to honor women is to love them. To love women. Say, so, well, what is love? Love is not thinking about myself all the time, but thinking about somebody outside of my little bubble. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? How I many think a lot of women struggle with uh, self esteem? How I many think a lot of little girls would have loved to have had a dad that just love them? Tell them how pretty they are. Tell them they love them. Hug them. You know, just love them. Say, what if that's all I do is just love them? It's probably enough. Well, I can't give them this and I can't give them that. Just love them. Serve them. Love them. Number three, protect them. Protect them. You say, well, women can't be that great because they're They're weaker than me. I'm physically stronger than them. And a lot of men go their whole life with that attitude, and that's why they're always destroying women. Because they want to show how strong they are and how great they are and what a man they are. But you want to know the truth? We were made strong to protect the women in our lives. To be a part of it. Not that they can't protect themselves, but if she's protecting herself and I'm right behind her, then she's going to be taken care of. I don't want my daughters going out there not protected. And so one of the ways you can honor women in your life is to protect women. And, and, and all these things, when the culture begins to break down and we begin to turn away from God, these are all the things that begin to break down in our society. Girls are totally unprotected. In fact, I, think, I, I really believe that you could go in some public places and, and, and somebody could be beating up on a woman and nobody would say a word. That, that would never have happened years ago. But our respect for women in our culture is 
You say, wait a minute, you don't know, man, this example and that example, this example. No, you don't know. You don't know the foundation that we have as Christians because he went against the world. He went against the whole culture and he had disciples that were women. Come on, register that. We got to go back to respecting women. We got to go back to respecting men. We got to go back to our foundations as Christians. You say, well, that's just good old fashioned, uh, good old fashioned doing it right. You know, no, that's biblical foundations from this Bible that were different than before Jesus came. They got corrupted through Jewish religion. It got corrupted through Roman power. It got corrupted through Greek philosophy. It got corrupted. And Jesus came back and said, I'm correcting it. Care for them. need to care for our women. I mean, no, that's true. He said, no, 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 that's not the way I look at it. The way I look at it, they're on their own, just like I am. I was raised tough, pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I need to do the same thing. Well, when you're laying in bed and you don't have anybody to take care of you, you'll probably wish you took care of your girls. You'll wish you took care of your women. And women, you're going to wish you took care of your men. I said, no, I want a one-sided message. Lay into them. No, no, we got to all change. We all have the, in fact, what's amazing is Jesus set this example, and within a century and a half, they were going back to the old system. They were going back to, they reverted back in the early, or 100, 200 years into it, they'd already reverted back to everything that he'd taught and everything he'd lived for, and we had to come back again over the ages and, and give rights back to human beings because they, they turned away from it. And you mean to tell me we're all perfect here? We're in danger of turning our back on God and going back to mistreating each other again if we don't listen to the Word of God. Pray. Church, we've got a focus as a church. We've got so many distractions, so many things that can take it off, off of our work. And the most important thing we're ever going to do as a church is learn to pray. To be prayer people. And you say, man, I prayed for India the other day. And I prayed for, I've been all over the world praying for all the, pray for your family. Pray for your wife. Pray for your husband. Pray for your sons. Pray for your daughters. Because here's what's happened. Like the little Chinese pastor said, I pray, 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 and I walk, walk, walk. When you're praying for somebody, you go out of your way to serve that person. You go out of your way to see God bless that person. You go out of your way to do things in that person's life. We want to pray, and then we want to do. But we want to have a prayer life, church. We want to pray for our family every day. We don't want to leave uh, people we love the most out there without prayer coverings over their life, without a hedge of protection around them. I know I'm probably going long here. This computer's our fault here. It's just full of good notes. Last thing we want to support. You know, you can be married and not support each other. Not be the biggest fan. One great thing about a mother is when nobody else supports you a lot of times, they do. They care about you. They support you. They believe in you. And we've got to believe in each other, church. We've got to believe in our women. We've got to support our women. We've got to encourage our women. And women, guess what? We need to support our men 
We need to believe in our men. We need to pray for our men. We need to lift our men up. And when the church begins to do that, church, that's what I call revival. Praise the Lord. Stand on your feet. Praise the Lord. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes, I just want to ask you for a second. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, Lord, prepare hearts right now, Lord God. You came to revolutionize the world. Lord, you're going to revolutionize the world with each home, each relationship, each person. Lord, you're going to, be, you're going to begin to change the way we think, the way we act. The way we look at other people, Lord. Father, right now I pray your spirit in this place. Change hearts, Lord. In your name I pray. If you leave your eyes closed, first turn those lights down. Please. Thank you. I just want you to think about something. If Jesus Christ has not come into your heart, your thinking hasn't been revolutionized. It's the old way of thinking. It's the old man. It's the old woman. If you've never given your heart to Christ, church, I couldn't preach this message unless God got a hold of my heart and God began, His Holy Spirit began to move in my heart and begin to say, Chad, change, change, repent the way you're acting. Here's what happens. We get these old ways of thinking and pride sets in and we say, I can never change. I'll never change. I will never change. And God wants to revolutionize our marriages. God wants to revolutionize our homes. He wants to revolutionize our communities. But we've got to yield to His Spirit, His presence in our life. And so if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I I just want to see that hand. Everybody's eyes are closed. We've all been in this place. I've never given my heart to the Lord, Chad. I've never repented. I see that hand. Anybody else? I've never given my heart to the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. I just want to ask some of you that are here today. Say, Chad, I I don't know about Mother's Day. There are a lot of men in here that struggle with their relationships with women because of their relationship with their mother. I just want to tell you today, those are all things we can lay at the foot of the cross. We can lay all the hurt. We can lay all the pain. We lay all the relationship things that messed up our thinking. Some of you here today, you say to yourself, man, I just see areas of my life where I haven't had a relationship with my mom or maybe it was even your dad. I mean, I can pray for my dad on Mother's Day. Yep. Church, we're here to help each other through those things. So if you you're struggling in relationships, you're struggling, maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord and you raised your hand, I want to pray with you up here. Church, we're just going to go in the presence of the Lord and I believe God, by the laying on of hands, will heal wounds, will heal hurts. God will pour love into you that's never been there before. You'll be like Jesus, you'll be so sensitive to those who are broken, those who are hurt, those who are left behind, those who are outcasts. God will give you the ability to minister to people in your life. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to begin to worship here. If you need prayer, I just want you to come up to the altar here, and I want to pray with you. If you raised your hand, I need to pray with you today. I want to lead you to the Lord. If you need prayer for anything in your life, I'm going to pray with you today.
was just whispering something in my spirit here. Listen to this real carefully. You say to yourself, "What? how does society get to a place where you treat somebody so second class as a citizen that they're literally treated like property or animals or subhuman? And the Lord spoke to my spirit at that moment when I was thinking on that. And he said, if Christ isn't transforming your relationships, that's how you treat people. It's not a society of slavery anymore, but sometimes we treat people we love the most subhuman, like animals, like lesser people, and Christ needs to transform every one of us. You say, wow, that's good for that person next to me. Oh, man, it feels good to my soul to hear that. And God was telling me another thing. I was saying to myself the other day, I said, how, how did Jesus minister to so many people? Because I look around and I see so many things that people need and want. My resources run out after the first person. And God revealed something. You back away a little bit when your resources run out. And God just asked me, how much money did the Son of Man have? He was poor. He barely had a pillow even to lay his head upon And he said, what Jesus did was not minister to their needs, their money, their things that they needed, food even. You don't see Jesus hand on that turkeys in Jerusalem, right? She said, what my son did was he ministered to their souls. And so when you see somebody, I I said, I'm going to try this out, Lord. (laughs) It's embarrassing. I'm going to try it out. I'm I'm just going to be honest with them that I don't have money. This is the classic Peter and John. Silver and gold have I not, but such as I have. And so I walk into Sam's to get the food for the mill. And there was a guy, guy there working. And, uh, and I said, hey, I said, uh, how are you doing today? And he said, pretty good. I said, no, how are you really doing? And he said, well, I'm glad you asked. And we began to talk for a long time. He began to tell me about his he overcame alcoholism now God's he just gave his heart to the Lord not too long ago and, and he feels like God wants him to help other people that were doing church we need to get out there and tell them silver and gold have we not people think they need something from you and they will take advantage of you and the Holy Spirit told me that's making us run the other direction and what God's saying is no say silver and gold have I not tell them that. It might be weird, but just say, hey, I'm going to minister to your soul. Don't say that again. See somebody holding up a sign on the street. Many of us many times have given our last five or ten or twenty dollars. Or you say, oh man, I don't have any money. Go up to somebody. Say, hey, I don't have any money, but how's your life going? And you say, oh, I can't do that because they're going to come live at my house. Or I'm going to have to do even more and just say, hey, I don't have the ability to meet all those needs. 
but I want you to know I do care about you. And I want to talk to you and I want to be your friend. And if I come through here tomorrow, even though I don't have an ability to meet all your needs, can I talk to you again? Because this is what Jesus did. God told me clearly he ministered to their soul. He didn't have money. He didn't even have a home. He ministered to their soul. The woman was sitting there at the well, rejected. Matthew was rejected. The prostitutes were rejected. And Jesus ministered to their soul. He walked by and said, can I talk to you? Can I care about you? The next day, he went by the same place and said, can I talk to you? Can I care about you? And you say, well, man, I, I can't do ministry. That's what ministry is. You say, well, they're going to ask me for all my money or they're going to move into my house. No. You may not be able to do any of that. Just say, I'm going to care about you, though. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to love you. I'm gonna, every day, I'm not going to avoid you because of that. I'm going to talk to you. Praise God. How many can do that? That was a revelation. In fact, I didn't know, almost didn't get the food because I ran around all afternoon talking to people. Almost didn't get home looking for people to talk to. My resources are low, but man, my talking is full. It's full. I got an abundance of resources. My wife doesn't like that abundance. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, send your people away full of your spirit, Lord God. Lord, the spirit that uh, flowed through you, Lord, let it flow through us, Lord. Bring revival to your people, Lord. In your name I pray.